Well, I figured it out, um, and it might be kind of disappointing. But <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm just excited to hear any information about it, right? So I, I keep did. Look, looking I... Every, every once in a while to see if someone wrote something about it. But... Hello, and welcome to Season 3 of the Sub Pop Podcast. Episode 1. Yeah. I am Arwen Nix, and I am here with Alyssa Atkins. Hello. Hey. Hi, how are you? I'm all right. How are you? Good. It's yeah. good to see you. It's nice to see you too. Me? Yeah. Thanks. I mean, we sit like one desk away from each other. We see each other a lot. <laughs> Tony in the middle. <laughs> but it's still nice. Yeah. Tony cool. Okay. So last season we got an email from a listener. We did. We did. We asked for one, and we literally got one. We got one. We got a couple. Oh, that's but we right. got this one, and we decided to start the season off by answering his question. Okay, are you there? Yeah. Okay, great. Um, how's it going? How's your day? Oh, so this is Devin Shields, and Devin wrote in and asked us what the deal was with something he called the sub-pop invasion of Halifax <laughs> that happened in the mid-'90s. And what he means is that why and how did Sub Pop end up signing three bands from Halifax, Nova Scotia, more like almost 4,000 miles away from where we are in the mid-90s? Why did that happen? Why do you care about the Sub Pop invasion of Halifax? Like, what got you curious about it? Well, I grew up in, in Halifax, and uh, but it, like when Sub Pop came through, I was only about 11 years old. Um, and then, like, growing up, You'd hear people talking about it a little bit, but there, there was uh, there wasn't a lot of people that would go into detail about it. And there's what what would they say when you heard people talking? Uh, well, people would just like talk about the excitement of like uh, all these bands getting signed up, and because uh, Halifax is kind of a isolated scene, there's not a lot, not a lot of uh, record labels that go through and pick up bands, so. So this was a good question from Devin. The bands he's actually talking about, specifically Eric's Trip, Jail, Hardship Post, and some spinoffs and solo records, a comp called Nevermind the Mollusks. Nevermind the Mollusks. That's what he's referring to in this Halifax invasion. What was the other name we had for it? The New Brunswick Connection. Yes, I really yeah. liked that. I know, it feels like a spy movie. It, it does. like a Mini Cooper in it or something. Absolutely. I didn't actually know the answer to this question. Complete. You didn't know the Can answer? Can you believe it? It's so <laughs> shocking. Devin, you stumped me. I didn't know the true root of the answer to it, but we asked Chris and Jonathan, and you started asking around more, and we got, kept getting the same answer, right? Yes. All roads pointed to Boston. All roads point to Boston? Yeah. For the answer. Yeah. So just real quick, Halifax, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, that's Canada. That's Canada, people. That's the east coast of Canada. Um but all roads for the answer, or at least the holder of the answer, pointed to Boston. Intriguing. Mm-hmm. The reason they did is because apparently there is a woman, apparently there's a woman <laughs> named Joyce Linehan. She exists. She's the former head of A&R for Sub Pop, and she lives in Boston. And when I asked Chris, like, who is our boss, what's the deal with the New Brunswick connection? What's the deal with the Sub Pop invasion of Halifax? He was like, oh, that's Joyce. You have to talk to Joyce. And he kept talking about 
Joyce and how she got in politics after she worked at Sub Pop and how she worked with the mayor of Boston now and this thing that happened with Elizabeth Warren and how she had this house where she like widened her driveway so more vans could fit in the driveway for when touring bands stayed with her and like some sort of cage that was yes. made to protect vans <laughs> and like right after he mentions Elizabeth Warren he's like and then there was a cage and then there was van- a cage for vans and I was like wait wait, wait Elizabeth what? Warren what does Elizabeth Warren have to do with the sub pop invasion of Halifax and who is this Joyce Linehan woman and why is she building cages for vans all yeah. of it fascinating so intriguing I'll say since I was intrigued and with the permission of Chris <laughs> permission of Chris I like that I headed to Boston. The destination of this train is Ashmont. <laughs> to interview Joyce Linehan in her living room where I had coffee and I met her dog. What's your dog's name? Her name is Mercy. As in no mercy. <laughs> So I had Devin's questions to start. How did Sub Pop come here to hear about the Halifax music scene? And what about it enticed Sub Pop to go there? There was a there's a radio station here, still here, called WMBR, which is MIT radio station. And they were playing a single by a band called Sloan. Um, and I really liked it um, and, and heard that they were from Nova Scotia and just happened to be going to Nova Scotia for a family reunion because that's where my mother's from. So I called their manager. And um, not uh, unbeknownst to me, they were already pretty far along um, on a record deal, but I just wanted to see what was happening with them. So I talked to their manager and he said, um, oh, we're having this big show up in Halifax, um, you know, the weekend that you're here. Can you come? So I went up and I saw um, uh, Eric Strip, which is a band from New Brunswick, who was being managed by the gentleman who was managing Sloan at the time. Um, A band called Tag that ended up being Jail that ended up being a sub-pop band as well. And I think the Hardship Post, I think they might have played that weekend. If they didn't, um, I certainly encountered them not long after that um, in, uh, on some trip to the Maritimes. But I spent a lot of time in the Maritimes up, uh, when I was at sub-pop. So when people say, what's the, what's the deal with sub-pop's invasion of Halifax? It's that my mother was born in Nova Scotia. <laughs> so there's, yeah. I can make up a better story. So all of the bands that are considered part of this Halifax connection, New Brunswick connection mm-hmm. for the sub-pop lore, all come down to one fateful weekend where Joyce visits a family reunion, visits her mom. Yeah, there's a family reunion because her mom is from there. So that's why the family reunion is there. And there happened to be some shows. That Joyce went to. And Eric Strip, Jail, and The Hardship Post all played that weekend. So that's how those relationships were formed. Wow. And then when Joyce becomes the head of Hey and R, or maybe she's the head of A&R at that point, like the dates are kind of muddied there. We thus have the sub pop invasion of Halifax. <laughs> and like there, there are a few articles written about this. There are a few Canadian music writers and I was able to find, I'm sure that there's more than a few Canadian music writers, <laughs> but there are a few music writers in Canada who wrote about the sub pop invasion of Halifax or the New Brunswick connection. And the thing is, it's all just questions. Like, there aren't really any answers to any of the questions. And the questions posed are like, is Halifax the next Seattle? And I 
I'm not sure what people mean, but I think it's because you had the grunge explosion in Seattle at that point. And it's just like everyone thinking that maybe this small town, basically, this small place in Canada is going to be like the next big thing when it comes to the worldwide music scene. And it wasn't. No fault of the bands. Right. No fault of the bands. But there was no like, no one brought out any charts or maps and said like, okay. Where's the next Seattle? Oh, I know. Halifax. (laughs) So I like how you posed to Devin, you might be disappointed (laughs) or even Joyce saying, I could make up a better answer, but this is is basically why. But there's still so much more about Joyce as this person that even would uh, at a family reunion have this, okay, I'm going to the show and now I see all this potential. There's like so much more about her that I, I want to know. Yeah, she's fascinating. I became mildly obsessed with her when Chris <laughs> told me about her. In a, friendly, <laughs> in a friendly, non-creepy way. I mean, I did try and find her unpublished thesis that she wrote in college. But just because it, she seems so interesting. Like there's so much about her work in politics and her transition from music and how music and politics kind of collide and like the ethos of her life that kind of took her on the rest of her course. Well, and in your reading, didn't you find an article about her that was called The Decider? Result two when you Google Joyce Linehan. Like the first one is her um, bio for Boston.gov. And the second is this profile of her in this uh, Boston magazine. And the title is The Decider. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot about this woman. So how did you go from going to shows to working with bands? I don't really know. I mean, I think it was one of those things where, you know, the bands kind of looked around and said, oh, you might be good at management. So she's a teenager and these bands are like, hey, you seem like you'd be a good manager. And she starts managing bands like Plan 9 and The Smithereens. And then she starts working at clubs and booking shows. You know, was just kind of always involved in the music scene, making money, doing other things. And eventually her path crosses with Sub Pop. When I really became aware of Sub Pop was in, you know, the early 90s. So, you know, Tom Johnston and I, Tom Johnston is a Boston guy who uh, we met when we were five years old and grew up to do shows together to work at The Rat and a bunch of other places here. we were doing shows and he was actually more the connection so he was uh, there were a couple of booking agents from other parts of the country who worked with bands who were sub hop affiliated and we started doing shows with some of them so we did shows with you know tad and mud honey and um a lot of the early um the early sub hop bands at different clubs we lost a lot of money on sub hop bands in the early days (laughs) that's okay it was worth it so then how did you end up working with sub hop um i was managing a band called six finger satellite um, which uh, Jonathan was very enamored of. And um, we were working together on negotiating a record deal for them. And I don't really remember how it came to pass that I was offered a job, but I do remember sort of a magical trip to Vermont with Bruce and Jonathan um, to Montpelier, um, uh, where I, somehow, I don't know what was going on, but somehow we started talking about how it would be great for Sub Pop to have an East Coast presence. And, and Vermont was great and you know all of these all these kinds of things. And eventually I ended up being offered a job as a retail promotions person for Sub Pop. And then you went from retail to working A&R? Yep, I did. I'm not, I'm not sure how quickly that happened, but it, it definitely happened. I mean, I was the only one on the East Coast, so it was sort of easy to assign me, uh, you know, some work with groups that were here, um, you know, just for proximity's sake. 
And you worked at Sub Pop for about six years. I think it was, uh, I want to say it was 92 to 98. Yeah, oh, that's six, yeah. <laughs> I see, I, I see it as long, I, I sort of assumed it was longer than that, but okay, yep. So what are some of the bands that you brought to the label? Well, my first one was Velocity Girl, so that was fun. Um, they were supposed to be huge. Okay, so by day, her house is the East Coast office of Sub Pop. It's all business, and by night, all the bands that played in Boston on tour, or many of them at least, would stay at her house. Her house has this kind of storied reputation. Yeah, about half of that stuff is true. Um, uh, yeah, it's a, a house that I bought in 1992, I think, 91 or 92, so shortly after or dur- around, during the time that I was starting with Sub Pop. And yeah, everybody stayed there. It was, uh, it was a gathering place. There were, um, you know, apparently songs written there that went on to be pretty successful. I read about that 10 years after, 15 years after it happened. I am tall eyes, tall mouth, tall legs. She's talking about doll parts. Courtney Love claims to have written doll parts in Joyce's kitchen. Um, I was asleep at the time, so I had very little to do with it. Uh, but yeah, a lot of the bands stayed there. And it wasn't just sub-pop bands. It was, you know, back then, there was this kind of circuit of houses all across the country, and my house was the Boston house. I heard that you built some sort of pen for people's <laughs> yeah. vans or yeah. or what have you. Yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was a necessity. So uh, the neighborhood that I now uh, that I grew up in and still live in is called Dorchester, and um, like a lot of American cities, it's had its ups and downs in terms of uh, um, crime. So it was a little bit of a car breaking um, era that we were going through. So in order to safely park a van and not have to um, unload it, I built a cage. So Joyce works with Sub Pop from 1992 to 1998. And when she leaves, she goes on to start her own PR company and put out other records with Joe Pernice and a million other things. And she's successful. She has like a really enviable client list. She's enjoying her life. And then this happens. CNN now projects, uh, Larry, that uh, Scott Brown will become the next United States senator from the state of Massachusetts, defeating the Democrat Martha Coakley. Take a look at this. Okay, so if you're not familiar with Scott Brown, or if you don't remember this race, let me explain it. Scott Brown won a special election for Senator Ted Kennedy's seat after Kennedy passed away. So when Brown won, it had been like almost 60 years of just Democrats in that seat. And then he's a Republican and he wins and people do not like him. And Democrats are mad and Joyce does not like him. And she is a mad Democrat. And so here we were with this person who had really no political record. Um, He was a Republican. He was going to undo a lot of the good work that Ted Kennedy had done. And um, he was he won a special election. So he was only going to be in the seat for I think it was less than two years. So when it came time to form the Democratic field that would then run for that seat to try to retake it, um, the field that was forming just didn't really do much of anything for me. But there was someone that she liked. My guest tonight, a professor of law at Harvard University. Safety school. She's also the chair of the Congressional Oversight Panel on TARP, 
Please welcome to the show, Elizabeth Warren. I, I was aware of her mainly because of her appearances on The Daily Show. And here, here was this, you know, uh, this professor, you know, professor with a background in economics who could explain to somebody like me who isn't an economist how these things work in a way that I could actually understand them. I just really loved her. There were a few of us um, that sort of started to agitate a little bit to try to get her to um, consider running. So um, I guess at some point in, in, in like May of that year, I tweeted something like, you know, Elizabeth Warren, if you'll run for the Senate, I will knock on doors until my hands bleed. A couple months later, I got a call at 9.30 on a Sunday morning. I was out walking my dog and somebody called and said, hey, Elizabeth Warren's actually kind of thinking that she might get into the race. Could you put together a house party, you know, bring some people together so she can talk to some folks and make a decision? And I said, yeah, sure, I'd be happy to. And uh, uh, I said, when? Figuring they were going to say, you know, next month. And he said, tomorrow. So so <laughs> like 18 hours later, there were about uh, 80 people in my living room at the house that I used to live in. Um, and it was the first house party that she had, is what I'm told. And um, it was uh, it was magical. Okay, so early 90s, Courtney Love writes doll parts at Joyce's house. 30 years later, Elizabeth Warren begins her tour of homes as she gears up to launch her Senate campaign at Joyce's house. Different house, but same Joyce. I mean, come on. I'm going to do this. I'm going to run for the United States Senate. And the reason is straightforward. Middle class families have been chipped out. On one of the Senate races that we've been watching tonight, CBS News projects that Elizabeth Warren, the Democrat, will pick up the Senate seat in the state of Massachusetts. We are projecting that- Continue to think it's one of the best things that my friends and I have ever done in our entire lives. So at that point, did you have a goal to make a career in politics? Never, never. I was always a volunteer, so it was a sideline. You know, just, I was very active in the neighborhood. You know, I come from a community that gave so much to me growing up. I was, you know, my father died when I was very young, raised by a single mom. She never would have been able to um, do what she did um, were the community not supportive of her. Um, you know, just there's a culture of volunteerism and a culture of service that exists here that um, uh, sometimes people who aren't here, I have a hard time explaining it to them. They, they have a hard time understanding it. Um, so always been active in the neighborhood, you know, was active in, um, uh, you know, I founded a nonprofit arts group here, the Dorchester Arts Collaborative. Um, I was, my mother ran a halfway house for uh, people who have addiction, um, a substance use disorder is what we call it now. Um, but, but she did that. So that, you know, that's part of the, um, the family culture as well. So service was always, um, was always on the docket, but always as a volunteer. Um, I had absolutely no intention of ending up where I ended up. I was doing very, very well and, you know, completely ready to carry on in that path. And then I, then I didn't. Yeah. So what happened? Uh, so a friend of mine, um, his name is Marty Walsh. He decided to run for boss for mayor of Boston. It was expected to be a tight race, but in a little less than two hours after the polls closed on Tuesday, Boston has a winner. Marty Walsh will be the city's next mayor. Started out as his press person um, and then uh, ended up as his policy director um, and then ended up uh, co-chairing his transition team uh, and then was ready to go back to my former life when he said, no, I need you to come in. So there I am.
So there she is, Joyce Linehan, former head of A&R for Sub Pop from some point in the 90s to 1998, now the chief of policy for the mayor of Boston, which to me is fucking wild. And I think that Joyce can appreciate like how that seems novel, how you go from like working at a place called The Rat to then being the chief of policy for the mayor of Boston. But it made sense to her, I mean, in a way. I've always been politically active. My father was actually state representative in, in Massachusetts. Um, I've been involved in campaigns a lot over the course of my life. I, I, I think, and I tell people this, so I hope it's true, um, I, I think I was politicized by the Reagan-Thatcher years. You know, those were pretty rough times, and I think that there are a lot of people my age who have the same experience um, and sort of um, come to political activism through music. Um, you know, someone asked a friend of mine actually he's, he's a friend who's written a pretty well-known book called all souls i think people know him his name michael patrick mcdonald asked him you know what qualifications does she have to do the work that she's doing now and he said well that it's com- community organizing is the same whether you're organizing people to protest or you're organizing people to come to a punk rock show it's it's the same skill set that's so good yeah it's the same skill set community organizing and getting people to go to a punk rock show. It's the same skill set. I love her. (laughs) I love Joyce. So that's the New Brunswick connection featuring Joyce Linehan. Yeah. She she really has something, I gotta say. And when I asked Jonathan and Megan, like when I talked to each of them about Joyce to see if they were surprised that she ended up as the chief of policy, like helping work on everything from public transit to like housing first to online dog licenses like <laughs> right. if they were surprised that she ended up working for the mayor of Boston and both of them were just like no like Joyce is a force she's a force to be reckoned with and how lucky for us that we got to know more about her from a question from Devin thanks Devin thanks Devin thanks Joyce yeah and thanks Devin for letting me call you I know that was also nice yeah what a sweetie so season three we're back yeah, we did it. So this season, we'll be putting out episodes every other week. We've got some really good stuff we're excited about. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to talk about it just yet. I will. Next week is hardly art. Oh, okay. <laughs> we can talk about that. We're going to celebrate the 10-year anniversary of hardly art with like a weird mixtape thing that we made. Past and present Hardly Art employees. Yeah. It's going to be good. Wrangled some real weirdos to talk about <laughs> Hardly Art, including Megan Jasper. I wouldn't have That'll it any other way. Speaking of which, special thanks to the overlords at Sub Pop, Megan Jasper and Jonathan Poneman, and to Chris Jacobs, our boss. You can find the music at Sub Pop FM. We're going to have show notes, mm-hmm. a playlist, all the kind of information you'd want. Yep. Everything. Maybe- Maybe some links to some of the articles we talked about with Joyce. Yes, including Courtney Love talking about how she wrote doll parts at, in Joyce's kitchen. Oh, an article talking about that? Yeah. Addresses that? Yeah. Wow. That's a quote, man. It's some real legit shit. Head on over there. Subscribe. Listen. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Season three of the Sub Pop Podcast. And if you have a question that you want answered, I will try and disappoint you by answering it. <laughs> So send it our way um, to podcast at subpop.com mm-hmm. and find us on Twitter. Anything else? Oh, we didn't have a Megamart ad. Oh, right. But It'll you can buy um, the music you heard today in the Megamart, which is what's the um, URL for the Megamart also? Oh, we should have Kat. 
I meant to get Cassidy in here. I still don't know. Do you Megamart, seriously no, not know? Megamart.subpop.com. Google Megamart Subpop. It'll get you there. Like, who types in a fucking URL anyway? I know. And then just expects to be there. Like, when was the last time you actually typed a www? Is that even how URLs work anymore? I think you can just type in. What does URL stand for? Ooh, let's not get into that. Damn bomb flushers. They think they're not part of the problem.